like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Holy Human with Leanne Rimes is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome, everyone, to this special episode of Holy Human. You know, this episode might feel like grabbing a cup of tea with a good friend because that is how I always feel when I connect with the warm, wise, and beautiful Kate Horseman. In addition to being an integrative nutritionist and healer specializing in mind, body, and soul wellness, Kate is also a very close friend, and I am so happy she's joining us today on Holy Human. Yeah. Do you feel that today too? You're like, I'm doing all right. By the way, I'm just going to let everyone know this will be a completely probably different vibe than most of the podcast because Kate is a dear friend of mine. And I just thought we would see where this takes us. I have questions, but just from that, I'm doing okay. (laughs) Um, It's been really interesting because I'm about to go out and start performing on Friday. I've been sitting here before our conversation in complete terror I mean, I haven't not been on stage in like my whole life, basically, but like for 16 months like this and a stretch of time. And it's been really heavy. I think a lot of people might be able to relate to that because we've all been kind of bundled up in our cozy little worlds for so long. And there's a lot of fear coming up for a lot of people at this moment. Well, I was wondering, and you know, maybe this will present itself, but if part of that fear is that I am fundamentally different now. Mm-hmm. I've gone through this period of growth and change, some of what I probably didn't want to go through, some of what I've grieved. And so now how, how does this person integrate into those other roles? Yeah. How do we, how do we stay authentic to where we are in this place? 
part of the growth for me right now is, you know, as a performer, I can go on stage and literally like, I can cut myself off from myself of all the fear and all the things and still walk on stage and do what I need to do. And right now is giving me this opportunity to, to include all of me and the fear and, and, and all. And I think, you know, that's been such a huge part of my practice is to include all of myself. I feel like I'm doing myself such an injustice if I don't take this moment to include all of me. And I think that's actually why I'm talking about this right now, because I was frozen and I felt like I have to start here because I feel like I have to include all of myself in this conversation. And that was just something I wanted to name. Yeah, I'm moment. so glad that you named that. I mean, that gives people permission to to address it and, and, and claim it in themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it helps me. Yeah. So- Everyone, this is my beautiful friend, Kate Horseman. <laughs> Kate and I met through a friend of ours, a dear friend, Kylie, and Kylie thought that we should meet. And but there are very few people that I let into my world intimately and so quickly. And you've been one of those people. And I'm so grateful for you who had talent really young and started in a profession and had that talent cultivated very young. And it's just not something that I've run into very often. And so you and I have connected in a way that is unique. And I'm so, so grateful. And I would love for people to know a bit of your backstory of what I'm speaking of. Because you were you were a prima ballerina, right? From the time you were very yeah. young. And well, yeah, I mean... The, the end wasn't as graceful as, as that, as, as, being, <laughs> as being a prima ballerina for certain. But yes, and I, I just want to name too that one of the things that I've noticed in our conversations is that I feel less alone and that there's mm-hmm. so many parts of me, especially the young parts of me, that I haven't allowed, I haven't been able to swim in that like pool of my heart space with. And I just feel so grateful that we've been able to connect in that way. And at many points, I think I've said, you know, I just wish we, I wish we could have known each other then. I know. But here we are. Yeah. So, yeah, I entered into dance and ballet very, very, very young. I was three years old when I started. Presumably, I had a passion and an interest for it. Though I don't, I don't really recall. I know that that must have been the case. But pretty early on, when I started training, there was a talent that was noticed um, and that started to cultivate. I, I would say that, you know, prior to age nine, that life looked a little bit more leisurely. You know, it looked like more recreational dance and play. Mm-hmm. But by the time I reached nine, there was this shift when I was scouted by the National Ballet School of Canada. And ultimately then went to train with them for a summer. Um, I was so terribly homesick because at that point in training, they had some different philosophies about how to hone these skills. And you're in a dorm and you don't have a phone. I think they don't let you. Oh, wow. You're allowed to write home the first week. The second week, I think you're allowed to phone home. And then the ET phone home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's intense. Yeah. So there were these sort of behavioral modification things that happened. And I was a child that actually had a really hard time 
communicating and expressing my feelings. And I felt a lot like, my God, I actually have not realized up until this year how much I feel. And I'm giving myself that permission. Yeah. I completely understand that. And that's so interesting. The feeling piece of it. I, Eddie and I did a, a wilderness survival training it was two days, 48 hours. It was a 16 hour training. And um, it was so intense that I had to walk out of the room a couple of times and meditate and breathe because we were talking about blood and broken bones and like all these different scenarios they would put you in. And it was good for me because I was like, okay, if I have to deal with this, you know, in all my sensitivities, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to know what to do. But I realized over those two days how much I feel. Not that I didn't know, but I really know now. (laughs) And it's taken like all this time, you know, my whole life basically to come up against, oh, wow, I'm really that sensitive. Yeah. 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 And not giving ourselves the permission or, you know, I'm sure we each individually and probably together and collectively have, you know, these, these reasons why, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had to distance ourselves from those feelings. And I actually think during the pandemic, there's been this interesting um, opportunity to get a little more still, examine a little bit more, and deepen into that permission. I think it's, I think it's an invitation. I don't think necessarily everyone chooses to take that invitation. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm finally at a place where I know, or I'm getting to know that I have the capacity to be mm-hmm. with those feelings. I know what to do with those feelings. And when I don't, then, then what mm-hmm. is there to discover too? I would say that those feelings of being so young and, and so lonely really mm-hmm. were a catalyst to really turn inwards, but not in a way that was introspective in a way that mm-hmm. was really self-destructive and self self-abandoning. And that's when I would say there was some energies at play within me that started started to take a turn where dance didn't feel necessarily like the safest or the healthiest thing. Though I've changed some of my tune on that, which maybe we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. How has that changed for you? Well, I think one of the stories that I had to claim, and it's not that it wasn't an, an accurate one, but was that dance could be something that was to blame within this, in, mm. within this sort of collapse and breakdown of what I experienced. And recently, recently being like the last, I guess, <laughs> five or 10 years, being in a more embodied version of myself, claiming pieces of myself back, I realized that probably it was absolute blessing that I had dance and that Mm -hmm. I had that sense of focus because it was actually probably one of the only ways that I could express all the chaos that was going on in my life. Mm -hmm. What I couldn't speak of, the things that I'd been through, the things that I was experiencing, they had a conduit through movement. And I actually now note that some of the years, you know, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but where I was really in my struggle and in in disorder, they were unsupported by the fact that I didn't move. Oh, so like I had to reject it. And I think Mm -hmm. probably at that moment in time, that was, was a place where I could go where like the rejection of that movement was what my psyche needed in order to start to heal. But at the same time, 
I didn't have still the capacity or just the internal capacity to explore my feelings and dance allowed me to have that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's just really interesting to, to look at the layers of it. And I, I still feel like I'm entering into different relationships with it. And, and, and spoiler alert, like, I feel like I, I feel like I need to dance again in, in some capacity, yeah. just, just for myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that our soul, mine has always been my singing voice. Yours has been movement. You know, our soul wants to speak and in what way, what's the catalyst, you know, like what is, and that could be anything. It doesn't have to just be art. Like people's soul wants to speak through, through anything. But I think the interesting piece, you know, you talk about dance being joyful and playful, right? And music for me was was joyful and playful. And then it became a job. And we had lost in so many things, the perfectionism of things, the expectations of others upon, you know, that which we're sharing our soul. And it can become soulless. Something that was once the catalyst for expression can become just another thing we do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you disconnect from yourself. And I, again, I'm curious mm-hmm. um, how, and maybe being in a, in a more embodied version of myself, I, I've claimed some of those pieces back, but I still think, I still think that there's more because that expression got stunted. Mm-hmm. How old were you when you started to experience, because you, you experienced anorexia from a fairly early age, yeah? Yeah, I was probably 12 years old okay. when I was actively in my eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But I would say that, you know, during the years of maybe not, but like, here, here's me like pushing it under the rug. I actively had an eating disorder and I actively continued to train and dance. And there was, you know, no, no, no problem with it. No awareness. Right. The awareness is internal. I think there was a lot of awareness externally, um, but it was acceptable. So I think by the age of like 12, 13, 14, it was starting to take on that energy of being a career where I felt like I was more becoming um, an, an expectation or a commodity. So mm-hmm. we'd go back and forth with training either in Toronto or Winnipeg. And then my goal was ultimately New York. And mm-hmm. I started going to EBT and School of American Ballet was like my dream school because I wanted to be a dancer with New York City Ballet. I'm kind of fast forwarding here, but those were the moments where they should have been like the most joy filled, you know, expression of my dance. I was at my absolute peak in my, in my Mm -hmm. physical body um, or in my expression, I should say my physical body was rapidly declining, but I know that I, I seem probably like a ghost on stage. I remember someone coming up to me and actually felt, it felt so horrendous. They said, you just don't, you don't, there's nothing to your face anymore. You don't smile. You don't. And I thought like, you're actually not seeing like what, what I'm going through. I'm just Mm -hmm. another, another version of a, like a commodity that you're expecting. So you're not Mm -hmm. only dismissing the fact that I'm clearly struggling, but there's still this expectation on what, what it's supposed to look like. Wow. Yeah. It's still kind of remarkable to me how, how that all happened. I think, again, I just felt so limited in my possibilities. I was so deep and, and despondent in my shame that I didn't feel like there were many choices. And ultimately 
when the prospect was to be with New York City Ballet, they told me that I would have to gain weight in order to stay and to make it in the company. And I walked away. How old were you then? 18. 18. And so fast forward, not to fast forward from that, but to the work that you do now. How would you describe the work that you do? I think the closest way that I can describe it is that I work as an integrative healing practitioner. I use different modalities that I weave together. I want to create a framework, a basket that Mm -hmm. that supports and contains. And so that has meant for me continuing my education as a counselor, but building in that nutrition, herbalism, um, and now energy work, because I think that we've really missed the soul part, even in like our our regular talk therapy. Historically, Mm -hmm. it was meant to be a soul conversation, but what I experienced and what I know so many experiences that we extrapolate the soul from the work. And so my hope is just to create a holistic opportunity for any individual that comes to me um, mm-hmm. to explore that. And I'm grateful to uh, support a lot of people that work through their disordered eating. Mm-hmm. They have an eating disorder or body image um, or any mental health issues, really. What was the decision like to step forward into this work for you? Because I can imagine that it, yes, is healing. It's a lifelong journey, right? To heal these parts of ourselves. But I'm, I'm imagining that to help people through disordered eating that have some of the same traumas that you have. I'm imagining that would be incredibly triggering at times. So I wonder what was that like? Like, what was that decision like to step into this work? When I went back to school and I was like, oh, okay, I think this is what I'm going to do. I'm meant to help people. I didn't practice at all. I didn't like, I did not step into that work. I didn't step into it until I went back to school again for nutrition until I went through a period of a relapse I did not want to go into this work until I felt grounded in, in the work that I had done, that there was a solid enough foundation. I certainly think there's possibility for the triggers to be there, but there's a certain level of intimacy that I think upholds those boundaries that are necessary. I think we all want someone to know that we get it. And I literally never felt, I'm kind of grieving for this, you know, recently, I don't think I ever felt like I had someone that was like, I get what you're going through. And so I think that there's an aspect that is just kind of sacred in being able to have these conversations with people that know that I've gone through it. Do I leave my experience at the door? Yeah. But if it feels helpful to bring that thread in and weave that into our story, great. It's there. Yeah. The work you do is, I mean, I know just as a friend, you're incredibly supportive and present. And we just did a breathwork session together not long ago. And it's something that is new to you in the way that you've been um, working with people. And it was probably one of the most supportive things I've ever been through in that space. And I highly recommend anybody that can book a session with Kate do. It's just so, I think because of everything you've gone through in life, it's given you, like you say, the capacity to be with all parts of people. And there's so much shame. You know, you brought up shame. There's so much shame around our bodies, our bodies as women. You know, when I think of the word shame, it's like the things that come up are, you know, sex, body, food, um, money, like all the things. And when you have someone like yourself that has gone to those dark places within themselves, you know, or the darker places, 
and has has held your own shame in that way. I think it's the capacity that you have to hold people just in general is so vast. You give people permission to bring all of those pieces to the table. And that to me has been the most welcoming energy to have in my life because you're right. There's not a lot of people that go, Oh, I get that. And by the way, all of you is all of you's welcome here. Most of us don't know how to welcome all of ourselves. So how can we welcome all of the rest of someone else, you know? And that's the thing I was just going to say, I think the reason why that's within some of my values is because that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to be a fullest expression of me and for someone not to run away. But that's what we fear. We fear that like when we go to pieces, that when stuff is dark or when we're afraid or when we're anxious, that it's actually going to drive people away. And so, so we hold it. People's emotions don't fear me. And the more I welcome that in, the more I allow that for myself. And on that really powerful note, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to dive a little deeper. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back, my friends. We are talking with my dear friend, Kate Horseman, about the very complex emotions that can complicate our health on multiple levels. I would love to kind of break down shame with you because shame is, I think, such a, I mean, we're all dealing with it on some level. And I think there's a lot of shame. I, I hear it. I hear people talking about it, especially surrounding their bodies. And it's something that you talk about often. And I just was wondering if we could speak to the shame piece and like how it affects our emotional health and, you know, kind of unpacking it. I think one of the things that we don't necessarily explore with shame is its origin story. Mm. It happens really, really young. Mm-hmm. It happens so, so young. And we suddenly wake up with this belief that uh, we're not, that we're not fundamentally okay. Mm-hmm. And that could be because of, of many things that can be everything from money to sexuality to our bodies that fundamentally that this, this person that I am inhabiting is not okay in the world. It didn't start that way. We learned that at some point and, and usually because a need wasn't met and um, that's not a place of blame. It's a place where likely multiple generations of unmet needs are alchemized mm-hmm. and we don't talk about it. I think there was this, I, I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but there was this, this note mentioned by Francis Weller who I've mentioned before you, and I know you're familiar with, Mm-hmm. where he said, you can always look where the most repressed parts of our society are. You, you note them because they're not being written about. Mm-hmm. They're not being talked about. I mean, me and you can have a conversation around shame, but for a lot of people, this is off limits. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, this might actually be the first time where they understand, wait a second, she said that we all carry shame. What, what's my shame, right? That might be a first identification towards mm-hmm. me not actually being fundamentally wrong. We aren't born with it. We learn it at some point, usually really, really young. And, and we can not unlearn it, but we can release it. We can learn how to release that shame. An important aspect, if I'm talking about shame, is to note like where this also exists within the lines of our culture and our society, so this isn't only what's happening in our homes, it might be, but what we're actually witnessing in our world, right? If, mm-hmm. if bodies look different than me, then something must be wrong with mine. Mm-hmm. If this person is valued, then I must do that to be valued, right? Which is very narrow. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's very, very narrow. And I mean, think of how unique all of us are. There's so many versions of humanity. And God, you know, I am a white, pretty, slim woman. And even I don't feel like I fit in most of the time. I think that shame, that piece of you that says, you know, that something's fundamentally wrong with you, it's real and it's deep. It's a really lonely place to be because like you're saying, that's very isolating. And I feel like I've spent a lot of my life trying to avoid that feeling. The achievements and the going and the doing and the achieving more. And I feel like that those pieces for me have, if I really think about it, it's kept me from feeling the fear of being just normal or the fear of being shamed or being less than. I've really had to name that for myself because, and it's, it's almost shameful to name it. 
It's like layers and layers of shame. It's like there's something very brave about naming these pieces and being really honest about the feelings around them because there's so much shame, like I said, about just naming them. Yeah, it's, a, it's like reaching to the farthest corners of the places in your body that you've abandoned or in your soul, maybe even beyond your body, you know, go there and, and bringing them back. That is a courageous act. That is a rebellious act. That's not what we're doing or what we haven't been doing, but is probably required of us. And it doesn't mean, you know, putting us in into the laneway of danger, but it does mean taking a risk on, you know, whatever the boundaries or edges of ourselves that we've said are not worthy. And, you know, you, you mentioned the avoidance. I think that it's really important in looking at shame work to know what are the things that distance me from these feelings, because we do not want to sit in shame, nor should we. Like that is discomfort. And there's a place and time to be with discomfort. And it's important to identify like, what are the things that try to move me away from that? And perfectionism is actually like a brilliant tactic. And I think that that's something that we're, we're seeing demonstrated. Perfectionism, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, performance, right? Those are, those are ways that we can distance ourselves, not only from those feelings, but maybe even from our body. We become a different version of ourselves, not a version that isn't accurate, but it's certainly not full. Well, it, that that performative piece, I mean, look, we all have been trained to perform on certain levels. I mean, you and I are, are actually, you know, performers and there's a piece of that that is beautiful. But I, I know for my own self, like starting so young and performance being such a huge part of my life, like there's always been a piece of performance in everything that I do. And to the extent of recognizing that there's a lot of untruth, I I guess, to name it in that way. There's been a lot of untruth in the past to the version of me that I felt like I had to be because, you know, I didn't feel like the authentic me was enough. And so, you know, all of these parts that I've felt shame around, maybe my, my anger or my sexuality or, you know, all of these kind of pieces of me that got pushed to the basement because it wasn't it wasn't the version of me that everyone wanted. You know, I've felt there's been a lot of shame around all of these different darker pieces of me. And also, like I said, the shame around even naming like, oh, I wasn't really honest about who I was because it wasn't welcome. I didn't feel like it was welcome. And that that authenticity has, there's so many layers to that. And more and more, I'm stepping into the truth of who I am. And that it's really powerful. It's really powerful to to step out of that shame. But I think in that, so, so much of us gets frozen in time, like in this, this kind of feeling of shame and, and freeze and, and heaviness. Like to me, shame feels really heavy. And, you know, maybe this is like an invitation for anyone that's listening to is to notice where you feel shame. Like, what does that feel like? Mm-hmm. You know, like there was definitely a point in my life where I was like, how, how does this feel in my body? No way. Right. So, so, so cut off but being a little bit in right relationship with, oh, these are the sensations. I don't have to stick around here. I don't have to stay here, but I'm going to try and get to know them, right? Mm-hmm. Build like a little bit of a bridge back and forth to build that that friendship, to, to allow that welcoming back. And, you know, Lee, as you're talking, I'm like thinking of you performing this week. It's like, oh, well, welcome her. I heard you say <laughs> like that part of me wasn't welcome or there was parts of me that didn't feel welcome. Can I now be that for myself? 
And we might mm-hmm. not feel that fully, but sometimes I think we actually have to practice it to get there. We can't think our, th- our way out of things. Sometimes we just have to embody it and give ourselves the permission to say, no, I'm going to belong here. I'm going to belong mm. here in this moment. I'm going to see how it feels. Mm. <laughs> you just saying that is very triggering for me in so many ways. The belonging has felt, at least personally, the to belong has meant to be, there's been a certain version of me that can belong, especially on stage. Like there's, I think right before all of this stuff happened, uh, the last like probably two or three years of me performing, there was more of this kind of vast fullness of me on stage and it felt really good. It felt like I was really fully allowing my humanity and performing at the same time and not having to cut off from myself. And that the belonging within that felt really good. And now it's almost like I'm I'm having to feel my way back into allowing myself to fully <laughs> belong on stage. I think it's easier to cut myself off sometimes because therein lies my avoidance of the shame. Like if I can be perfect and great on stage and I don't mess up, then I avoid feeling shame. And uh, I know for myself, like there can be so much fear around especially performances actually like on TV. Cause you know, everybody goes on social media afterwards and like they all have their own like conversations around what just happened. There can be so much fear going into that because of, oh, I just want, I just want to avoid being shamed or being less than. It's amazing the, av- the avoidance that plays into, to this shame piece for so many people. Like I would love for people to think about like, what little space we take up, you know, because I feel like, look, I've taken up a lot of space in this world before and I still feel like I'm playing small. And I think shame is one of those, shame is the thing that keeps us playing small. Yeah. I mean, that's why I tried to disappear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And it it certainly doesn't have to look physical by any means. That was my manifestation, but yeah, it Mm -hmm. keeps us small. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about all the shifty ways that shame shows up and sidelines our well-being. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself as the middle generation. 
I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous <laughs> of your generation yeah. that didn't have to deal yeah. with Instagram and that. Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, my loves. I am talking with my dear friend Kate Horseman about the ultimate shapeshifter, shame. How can that manifest for people? Like what is, you know, like you're saying, for you it was physical. What other ways can that manifest? I think it can keep us from intimacy, mm. not only friendships, but, you know, romantic relationships. I absolutely was incapable of being in intimacy in my 20s. Even though I was in that recovered space, I was still very much still in the shame, right? Mm. So I think it's a way that we we create a wall because, again, what would happen if someone actually saw me? And I'll go further on that, but but Lee, when you were talking, one thing I wanted to say was a friend of mine, Kaoni, he says to me, people deserve to know you. And, mm. I, and, I, and I think about you and, man, how much you give. And that fullness that you're speaking of, you know, probably doesn't even necessarily translate to what you do on stage. It's just, just internally. But we all, mm. you know, I want, I want to know the fullest version of you. What an absolute blessing. What a gift. Yeah. I'm still learning the fullest version of me. I'm still getting to know that. You yeah, know? me too. Yeah. I think that the beautiful dance that I'm having with myself at this moment is getting, is allowing myself to actually, for me to know the fullest version of me. It's so easy to hide from yourself. <laughs> it really is. And until we know, until we allow ourselves to know the fullest version of us, like that can't really spill over into our lives. And that's a new way of being. It's a, it's a brave way of being. And, and, you know, I think it's important in these types of conversations where we're talking about stuff that's heavy is, is just also not to romanticize it. You know, I know I at times kind of speak poetically about like this downfall, which was pretty extreme. My fall was as, as great as my comeback. Right. So, um, (laughs) I, I, I don't want to romanticize it because I think 
people need to know that it has work and it has grit to it and it's okay to take breaks in it. It's okay to, for this to be absolutely only about your exploration and not about how others perceive, you know, that different version of you, only, only yourself. Um, and for one reason or another, I wanted to say, I, I, was, I was talking to a client the other day and we we're talking about this idea of allowing things just to, to, to be a bit easier. Like, can we actually give ourselves the permission to like, let life, let the emotions, let whatever's there just be easy. And I've come up against some resistance. And I think what I was able to articulate was, you know, there's those people who can actually just brush things off and laugh about it. I can't, not yet, because it wasn't funny for me when I was in survival. It was never easy when I was in survival. So I'm just learning again how I might even fathom laughing something off. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> I totally understand that completely. I mean, you and I talk a lot about our inner children and like coming home to them and stepping into joy more. This is what we converse about when we talk uh, privately, but I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, us as performers so young, but I think a lot of people, parentified children, people of, you know, children of abuse. Energetically, I feel like I've learned to hang out in a different realm of sometimes limited possibility when it comes to emotions, um, where joy wasn't actually like in my reach. The innocence of myself, the playfulness of myself wasn't in my reach. And I'm glad you're sharing that because I think that that is real for a lot of people. Some people haven't had to experience trauma so deeply. And so, and that's wonderful. And I'm so glad that people have that experience. I know a lot of my journey recently has been coming home to this little piece of me, to my innocence, to the joy. And I know that's been a lot of your journey too. When it comes to that piece, what has been supportive for you in actually coming home to your innocence, coming home to joy as a new experience to, to actually like exist more in that realm instead of the realm of, of trauma. I feel like one of the first things that comes to mind is patience, because I think again, being that the joy wasn't or isn't always that as accessible, I sometimes get caught in this judgment of like, why can't right now be easy? It's like, oh, (laughs) because you're learning how to do things differently. And before, if you did things easily, maybe you're actually in danger. Right. Yes. So I think having patience is a big part of it. I think any and all embodied practices where like I could actually be and stand the feelings that are there, because when we're children, we actually usually have much more ability to have that freedom in our bodies. So I think that there's something about embodied practices, even something like dance or exercise or breathing that actually just reconnects us back to that core person, that, that soul, as opposed to the layers that are layered onto that soul. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think those are a few ways. And, and I always say it and I always worry that it's like, it's just another word, but it's compassion. It's like two pillars of my work is curiosity and compassion. If we can meet ourselves with that, I think that we're going to shift a lot of things. And so that compassion is just like a deep claiming of everything that is there. 
And in doing so, it creates space for the possibility that maybe joy can exist, that maybe play is in there, that Mm -hmm. I can afford myself the permission, right? When our nervous system is, you know, this, like, you know, so activated, we're not going to be able to access freedom in that spot. It's mm-hmm. only when, when, we, when we're brought down. And I think that that's what compassion does is it brings us back down to a neutral playing field where we can maybe navigate what we want to do with the rest of that expenditure. Mm-hmm. You talked recently on your Instagram page about like affirmations and bringing what if into our affirmations. I, I've heard so much about people sometimes are like affirmations don't work and they're so stupid. And I'm, I've kind of been on that side of the fence before. <laughs> like, oh, this is so dumb. Like, I don't believe what I'm saying. And that was what was so interesting about the what if for me that you brought in was like, it brings in possibility. Yeah. I was wondering, cause you just kind of touched on that a little bit of like, you know, the compassion piece, giving ourselves compassion and brings in that, that a new possibility and I think this what if piece when it comes to affirmations for people who use them, or maybe if you've like shunned them and, and like, this doesn't work for me, and maybe now this is a new way to work with them. If you just speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. And I actually thought it was just another way that there was something wrong with me that I didn't like affirmations. Right. Totally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like this doesn't work for me. And I, there's exactly, and it's all my fault. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's making me worse. I am actually fundamentally wrong because I can't even say these affirmations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Always had that, that feeling. I think in that post, what I said was like, I feel the same way about you should love your body or I love my body as much as you should smile. It holds the mm-hmm. same charge. Like it just doesn't feel like something that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And of course, not to say that if you don't feel those ways about, about yourself, like full permission to claim, to claim that love, right? That is yours. But I think for a lot of people, when we hear the affirmations, we just question if it's really true. That part of our shame-filled, you know, mm-hmm. center is like, nope, that doesn't add up. That doesn't belong. That's not you. And so we reject it. And we reject it. And then again, we, we judge ourselves for having to reject it. Mm-hmm. And so I've just been going off of the curiosity piece. Also, it's curiosity is a question mark. I'm far more committed to creating like a question mark behind things. So maybe if you're struggling with affirmations, put a question mark behind it. It changes the tone of our voice. It says, mm-hmm. is that true? But the idea is with affirmations that, you know, if we place a what if beforehand, and I actually, in retrospect, thinking that it's not only for affirmations, but also for the negative narrative in our mind. Mm -hmm. If we place it, the what if there too, we might be challenging it just as much. So classic affirmation is, I am, I am beautiful. I, I love myself. And that felt like a far distant reaching place for me. And what would change within that is what if I am beautiful? What if I can love myself? There's just a different resonance, a different charge in the body that says, you know what? I'm actually going to let this bypass the nervous system. You can, you can have it. Whereas the other one, I think just really activates something and it shuts us down. Yeah. There's a lot of space when you say that. Yeah. Like I feel more spacious in my own body of like, what if I am beautiful? 
what if joy is a possibility for me? You know, like what if that could, what if joy is my baseline? Yeah. <laughs> and can you imagine like, like writing about that and like jamming off of like, what, what actually, what would that mean? What would that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You journal a lot, don't you? Or you write a lot, you write often. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I'm just questioning a lot of things. I think it's been probably one of my greatest practices is to really just like ask myself if this is true, because I really believe and still at times do believe everything that's in my mind is true. And it's not, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's not, I just have to remind myself of that. Yeah. You're so right on about that. And it's, but how do we, you know, there, but there are things that are true, you know, and it's like, how do we access, how do we go past the mind into what have you found, I guess, is the truest space for you? Like how, when you, when you are believing all of these things are in your mind are true, what has been supportive in diving into the place that is truer or truest? Yeah. I mean, I think you, I'm going to feel into that for a second, but I think you said something really interesting when I said the what ifs, you're like, like I felt more spacious. I felt, Mm -hmm. I I think being able to run those, those thoughts through a software in your body, you know, and again, maybe that takes practice. Maybe we have to heal some, some body trauma first. Yeah. Cause I think there's so many people are, we are so disconnected from our body if it was two years ago, I wouldn't be able to tell you, oh, I felt a lot more space in my body because the body hasn't been, it hasn't been a safe place for me. And I know a lot of other people. And so that embodiment takes a while and therein lies your patience. Like for me, this has been years of, of work to get to where I feel space in my body or feel anything in my body. They say the body never lies and it talks to us all the time. And I'm like, this freaking body's not talking to me. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Or it's telling me like things that are like, there's a fire in the body. Like the alarms are going off and it's actually like, no, the body's fine. That's actually just your, your thoughts right now that are triggering that effect. So Mm -hmm. it is a complex one. And I think that it's one probably to move with caution. We're kind of in this world and field of awareness where we're talking about developing our intuition and just like listen to your gut. And I'm like, how, 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 how do we do that? Mm-hmm. But if you are able to stay the course, if you are able to hang out in your body a little bit longer with those feelings, then I think the body can become an ally. I think mm-hmm. that it can become a tool to really land or to, to know when those places do feel truest, when we do feel that opening, that like spark of joy. It's like, Oh, that's what that feels like. Okay. Now I know. Now I know. So being aware of the body maybe is one of the first steps. It might not always be the accurate, it might not be foolproof, but, it, but mm-hmm. it's one of the ways. All right. We are going to take a quick break and a quick breath, but don't go away. We'll be right back. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. 
Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, loves. Kate was just walking us through the power of adding joy and curiosity to our practice. You know, curiosity. I've actually had Dr. Judd Brewer on recently, and we were talking one of his biggest pieces is, you know, curiosity and getting curious with like genuinely curious. And I know for myself, it took me a while to learn. I I know I didn't have to learn to be curious, but it took me a while to trust curiosity. I think curiosity and for me, curiosity and joy and all of those feelings are kind of mixed together because like you were saying that, you know, if we've been in survival mode forever, Like you're not really getting curious in survival mode, right? I think one of the biggest pieces for me has been, like you're saying, patience, but also learning that now that I'm not always in survival mode, when I'm more in a thriving kind of space, knowing that I can trust that space, learning that I can trust that space, learning that I can trust my own curiosity and these moments of joy. And even though I'm not, that's not where I hang out all the time, I'm having more of those moments And I just want 
everyone to hear out there. If you feel like those aren't trustworthy just yet or trustable, that it's okay to feel that way because in in survival we have uh we haven't had access to those places and so if you're if you're like what the hell are we talking about right now it's okay to it's okay to not know absolutely and and that might actually be a, a beautiful place also to start whether you are um welcoming in of curiosity or not is what what does this remind me of where where in my life did curiosity stop? Because, you know, as you were talking about curiosity, mm-hmm. joy, you, there was a third one you said, but I'm thinking, well, those, those belong to, to Lee. Those, those belong to, you right. know, those are qualities of our youngest selves because that was our nature. We would want to test the waters to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So meeting, I, I suppose, the youngest parts of ourselves too in, in that exploration. I love that question. Where did curiosity and joy and play when did I feel like those weren't welcome? When did that stop? Yeah. And it would be interesting to note how, how connected those are with any pieces of shame. Mm-hmm. There's probably something there I can think about. I mean, I remember, yeah, being really young and my dad actually often said, you're so curious. And I thought it was such a bad thing. Oh, wow. In, in retrospect, I know that it wasn't. But I do think that there was a long period of my life where I actually really identified that that was something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I could talk to you all day about all this stuff, but thank you so much for, for joining me and, and opening your heart to us. It's so vast and beautiful and I'm so grateful. I always ask my guests about music and I know, I know you love music so much. When we did our breathwork session, Kate's like, I just get to play DJ. This is my favorite part of of the whole thing, which I love too. Like I love putting music together for when I breathe. Yeah. I love a good playlist. So I, I do something called the Holy Five. So these could be songs like that are moving you now that have moved you throughout your life, but just what are your Holy Five and, and why? This is hard. It's hard, right? I know every guest is like, oh my God, I spent so much time on this. <laughs> uh, I feel like I could come up with 10, but five was hard and okay. also really exciting. Mm-hmm. So number one is Everybody Wants to Rule the World by Tears for Fears. Uh, that's such a good one. Yeah, it was the first tape that was given to me. I was a little too young. I was six years old. My mm-hmm. half-brother gave that to me and it was impactful. Second one is How to Disappear Completely by Radiohead. I've never heard that song. I've never heard that title. Daryl's looking at me like, what? I've never heard that song. I have to go listen just because of the title alone. Yeah. That's amazing. You'll have to take a breath. It has been by my side through some moments. Maybe it met me in my despair. I'll say that. That part of me that that felt always alone in those feelings, I feel like mm-hmm. really was able to connect. That was one of the things that you felt knew you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing how music can do that, right? It is amazing. And truly some very pivotal moments of my life, I... I 
I hold music so, so close beside it. Nobody But You by Charles Bradley. new one i don't know i'm gonna listen to that yeah it's a good one it reminds me of dan um yeah yeah so and i had like an epic uh, one of the best concerts of my life charles bradley um at the commodore in vancouver i'm gonna go for a twist now this is gonna be girls 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 by (laughs) jay-z i love it like they're either gonna think i'm gonna say motley crew or jay-z but it's jay-z I love it. Oh my god, I love Jay Z. Yeah, so the uh, one that I'm loving right now is Howling by Ryax, and specifically, um, it's a Sophie Tucker remix. So it takes it on like a dance element and it's like eight minutes long. Oh, nice. It's so good. I love that song. Thank you for finally telling me how to say his name, Ryx. <laughs> I'm like, R-Y-X. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Ryx. Oh my God, his voice is so amazing. I love, love, love it. I'm going to have to go look up that version. He also has um, a beautiful album out now, live from yeah, Royal. the live one? Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. I got the record. Yeah, so, oh, you did? Oh, fun. Do you collect vinyl? Yeah. I love it. Uh, me too, a, a bit, but um, yeah, I love vinyl records. They sound so good. Yeah. Oh, thank you, my love. Thank you. You're the best. You too. I really appreciate it. All right. I love you. Mwah. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of this very cozy, comfortable episode of Holy Human. Thank you for spending this time with Kate and myself. And, you know, I'd always love to hear your thoughts, so please post them in the comments wherever you're listening and share this with anyone who could use a little more curiosity in their lives. On our next Holy Human, I'll be joined by the incredible and inspiring force of nature that is Terry Cole. She'll be sharing some powerful perspectives on the significant benefits that creating boundaries have on your life and your relationships. And trust me, you're going to want to listen to this episode. Until then, keep the faith, keep loving each other, and I love you. Holy Human with me, Leanne Rimes, is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 